0: Tommy Stokey here with John Heyman. We are recording on Friday, August 26th. And John's latest news and notes column came out yesterday on Thursday on today's knuckleball.com. The big story being the Los Angeles Dodgers. They before yesterday were 30 and 19, so now 30 and 20 without Clayton Kershaw. Um, the one interesting thing that I found there was Andrew Friedman talked about the the cohesiveness that the team was showing, and then the biggest news of the day was the Dodgers trading their backup catcher who's hitting 190 in AJ Ellis for Carlos Ruiz. So when we talk about cohesiveness, that was a, a big thing that um, I guess shook everything up and there were tears in the locker room when he went so is that really going to ruin the cohesiveness that they have in this run
1: no i think his uh, confidence in the cohesiveness means that he believes that they are together and that one or two things aren't going to spoil that I, you know, he's obviously a young gm he's in that new group where he looks at the stats very closely and uh, that has paid off for them as well with the bu- rebuilding of the bullpen but uh, Uh, And he does look at the uh, cohesiveness, and he does give credit for the energy that Dave Roberts has brought. I think Roberts is a, uh, if not the certain manager of the year, certainly one of the top two or three in the National League. He's done a great job. And I think that Andrew Friedman just has confidence that uh, Roberts can keep them together. I do think AJ Ellis is a terrific guy, but, uh, you know, they looked at the stats, they looked at the uh, hitting versus left-handed pitching, And Ruiz has been terrific in the last couple months in that category, and that's why they did the deal.
0: Yeah, and I think it's a sign of um, confidence in Dave Roberts to do that, a first-year manager, that, hey, we have enough veterans here, he's doing a good enough job that we can trade a strong clubhouse presence to make a move that that makes us better. And I guess the, the thing that it reminded me of is last year with, David Ross with the Cubs a lot of Cubs fans were like okay I don't care if he's Lester's personal catcher or not he's not playing well we have to get rid of him we have to get rid of him Uh, obviously he's playing a lot better this year but I guess when does that line get drawn that okay a personal catcher for our best pitcher yeah but he's not getting the job done so we have to improve there
1: Well, I think there's a balance. I think that A.J. Ellis was looked at as valuable for the clubhouse, but he was hitting 190-something. So I think they looked at him as uh, a decent backup, but I think they were concerned, as I said, against the left-handed pitching. Uh, Carlos Ruiz has been terrific lately in that category, and I think they were concerned that uh, Grondahl had been used quite a bit and may need a little more more uh, rest down the stretch and if that's the case, they're going to have to pl- play the backup and uh, to have a guy with a, a, a above average against the left-handed pitching versus uh, how Ellis was doing this year, um, I think that's why they they made that choice. I don't necessarily think they wanted to trade Ellis in any way and I'm sure people are very disappointed. I'm sure that Clayton Kershaw is extremely disappointed. Is not only a personal catcher but a very close friend of his, but uh, I think weighing all factors, they came down the side of, uh, let's get somebody in here who's going to hit better than A.J. Ellis has hit. And uh, Ellis is a free agent, and it's interesting to note that uh, Kershaw may actually not be back this year. This is not just a note. That's a big story of the year. Uh, he's certainly trying to get back. He's got the herniated disc. He's thrown a couple of side sessions. Uh, he's going to continue to try to ramp it up, but uh, you know, he, he throws with a lot of torque, and I think even people in the organization are, are now admitting, at least uh, behind the scenes, that it's iffy. They're not sure whether he's going to make it back this year. Certainly they're very, very uh, uh, hoping quite a bit, but uh, I, I think it's a big question mark at this point. So uh, if you're a personal catcher for somebody who may not think it back, your, your value is probably limited at that point.
0: Yeah, if he doesn't come back until the end of the month, then maybe he only has a couple starts before the playoffs and you have to get there first. I think they they would take that. I mean, they
1: would take anything in terms of uh, starts or uh, uh, participation from Kershaw. Uh, He may not have any starts this year. Uh, They're they're still not certain that he's going to pitch at all this year. Uh, and. and certainly, be himself for the playoffs, and obviously that's huge for them. They've been great without him. I give them all the credit in the world, which is what this column is about. Uh, but certainly, uh, Rich Hill's emergence there uh, is a big plus, and that's part of the reason they went out and got Rich Hill—not just any pitcher. It was a guy who had a, a, a sub three ERA, uh, actually even much lower than that, and. Uh, that was a, a a good replacement, if healthy. I mean, nobody's claimed Kershaw, but there was nobody else who could even approximate uh, what Kershaw does on the uh, trade market uh, this July.
0: And going back to the, the when does talent take precedent over a clubhouse, Yaseel Puig, they are, you said they're not looking to actively trade him, they're not desperate to trade him by any means, but they're also, they don't appear to be on the verge of calling him up he is playing better than Josh Reddick is. Obviously, he's in AAA. At what point do they have to look at it and say, he gives us the best chance to win on the field, and it doesn't matter what he does in the clubhouse, or does it never reach that point?
1: Yeah, I, I think it was, the case of uh, Puig uh, was such that they really wanted him out of the clubhouse when they took him out of there and sent down to the minor leagues. Uh, uh, he, he wasn't having the type of year where normally somebody is demoted. He's above average defensively, a little below average offensively, but certainly not playing to his potential and uh, not really fitting in that clubhouse at all. So uh, they sent him out with the intention, I think, of keeping him down in the in the minor leagues. Uh, I, I think they had to be pretty desperate uh, to call him up. My uh, the word that I got was they, it was doubtful, quote unquote, doubtful. Uh, that he would be back with the team this year. But uh, he has been tearing it up. Reddick has been struggling mightily. And uh, so you never want to say never. Who would have thought they would have traded AJ Ellis? So you, you never know with these things. Uh, I mean, cohesiveness is important. Clubhouse is important. But uh, if, if Josh Reddick continues to sit like this, they may have to consider. In terms of the trade, they've gauged uh, interest from others. I think so far they've gotten teams that are trying to bottom feed a little bit and Get uh, Yasiel Puig on a, on a real bargain, and obviously, uh, if they were going to trade him now, it's, they wouldn't get nearly what they would have gotten two years ago. But uh, I don't think they want to give him away. Uh, that's what I hear. I, I know there were stories written a week ago suggesting they're wanting to give him away, but I think that was just spin uh, from somebody. Uh, my impression is, uh, and this comes from other teams. Uh, that they've tried and uh, the Dodgers are really not that interested in at least giving him away they might trade him for something decent but they're they're not just giving him away
0: do you think the Ellis trade hurts the chances of Pui coming up I mean they still have a lot they still have plenty of veterans there that's you know with their young guys that if they're going to call him up I think that they have enough veterans to to make up for that difference but I mean, anytime you lose someone, that I don't know that that helps his his case. If they're really worried about the clubhouse, Puig might be, okay, trading Ellis is one thing, but now you're going to trade Ellis and call up Puig, who we don't want in here?
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. I think it has no effect. As I said, I think it's doubtful that he gets called up, I think that uh, stays the same. That it's still doubtful. They have to be uh, desperate. Uh, Redick would have to... Uh, continue this uh, pace for another couple weeks probably and uh, Puig would have to continue to do what he's doing at uh, A and continue to behave and adjust as he apparently has at least in the first few weeks in the minor leagues but uh, I, as I said I, I think it's doubtful uh, and I don't think the, the trade of Ellis will have any effect on that.
0: They would could have used any offense last night and right on cue you wrote yesterday that there are people saying that They don't think the Tampa Bay Rays got enough back for now San Francisco Giants starter Matt Moore, who threw 130 pitches last night, finished one out away from a no-hitter on Corey Corey Seager bobblehead night. A a bloop single to right breaks that up. I guess that just goes to show that, or at least one start, um, maybe they were right that the Rays didn't get enough back.
1: Yeah, you can't make a uh, judgment on a trade on a few starts, or he's certainly one start. His first couple starts were not that great. Uh, You know, if you look at trades in the past, like the Will Myers trade with San Diego, it looked like a disaster, then it looked great. Now it looks pretty much fair that they traded uh, Trey Turner and got Will Myers. So it goes back and forth, and it takes years sometimes. In this case, these are kind of known entities, so you have a little bit of a better idea going in. It depends what you think of Matt Duffy. I think he's a solid player. Uh, They've moved him back to shortstop in Tampa where he played in the minor leagues, and uh, they have every faith in him. But uh, I think some people from the outside looking in are saying, that the value of pitching was such that you should have gotten a big-time prospect for a good left-hander like Matt Moore or a big-time major league player. And I think Matt Duffy's looked on as a very good player, but not of that ilk at this point. I just think it's the question of the value of starting pitching, Uh, particularly a left-handed starter, is much higher at this point than uh, just your average. And I don't want to put Matt Duffy down. You're a good... A major league starting player. Um, that's just the way things have gone in the baseball, and I think that's why a lot of people have that opinion.
0: And I think a lot of people expected them to hold on to Matt Moore and the rest of their guys until the offseason, and so maybe that's why, if they were going to trade him now, that they didn't come away with a superstar prospect package of some kind. But when you look at last night, and I don't know that there is ever a right answer when it comes to a no hitter and what that leash is. Do you think that they went too far with him yesterday, a Tommy John guy, a four-run lead, and 130 pitches for a no-hitter attempt?
1: Yeah, I mean, I always – it's easy for me to say I don't run the team, I'm not a manager, uh, I always err on the side of caution, particularly after seeing uh, what we saw with Johan Santana. And, of course, they're going to say, well, we don't know exactly what happened. Well, Johan Santana was pitching great through the no-hitter, 134 pitches, And immediately after that, he started pitching poorly. So, uh, you know, it's possible it was just coincidental. It may not have had anything to do with him staying in there, but I always err on the side of caution. I think a no hitter is great, but it doesn't make a career. Not one of this, uh, not one of uh, Matt Moore. It might have made somebody's career, but he's a good enough pitcher that uh, one game does not make or break his career. He's got a good contract, he's got young. He's very young, he's got a long way to go, uh, so I always err on the side of caution. I, I saw Bruce Bochy was pacing back and forth. I do think Bruce Bochy is the best strategic manager in Major League Baseball, and that's why he got that raise that we just uncovered of $6 mil- to $6 million a year, which is the highest salary, A. V. wise in Major League Baseball. One thing I would say, though, uh, Bruce Bochy has the gravitas and the background that he would be one guy who could pull somebody out an inning or two innings uh, to go before a, a no hitter i know that the manager is going to be getting a lot of heat for that but i think bruce bocce's reputation is so spectacular and his background his resume so spectacular his uh, three world series I, I mean among active managers right now he has one-third of the world series rings that's uh, uh, almost unprecedented to see a guy have one-third uh, only uh, five other managers have World Series rings uh, among the active managers. Frank Cone has two, and he has three, and then uh, uh, four others have one. So uh, I think if anyone could have done it, it's him.
0: Yeah, and I mean, Dave Roberts early in the year pulled Ross Stripling, I think after it was seven and a third, and he just got killed for it. Ross Stripling's dad, I think, came out and said, thank you for taking care of my son. Um, I asked a player yesterday, what? He thought, he said, hey, it might be the only chance he ever gets. I disagree with that just because you're talking about a much bigger picture here, that he's 27, he's already had Tommy John once. Um, You have him for multiple years, and you're still trying to to make a playoff spot. And so if you lose him for even a start or two, that could be the difference from – you know, from a playoff spot or or not. So
1: right, and it wasn't going to determine whether they won the game. They were up by four runs, so it was all about the no hitter or not or the not the no hitter. It was no hitter versus concern of health more than anything else. It wasn't a, a four to three game or. A, two-to-one guy, I guess with a no-hitter, it would be more likely a one-to-nothing game, uh, and he's pitching great and saying, well, we want to win this game, we've got to keep our best pitcher in there. No, the game was basically won at that point, you, you, you would hope. I know San Francisco's had some problems with its late-inning relief, but you would be pretty confident to think they could have protected that four-run lead.
0: One of the other things that you talked about in your um, column on Thursday on today's knuckleballcom was potential... MLB rule changes, Uh, Rob Manford wants to speed up the game, I was at the Diamondbacks-Braves game, I believe it was Wednesday, and the first nine innings took four hours, and then it went to the 11th, and the total game time was four hours and 45 minutes, I think that was more of a case of just two not good teams playing each other, and you get bullpen changes all the time down the stretch, but... When you talk about wanting to shorten the game, I guess what is there an effective way? I know there's the the, the pitch clock there's pitching changes, limiting those um, limiting a shift. I guess is there anything that can realistically shorten the game
1: uh, I'm not sure there is, and my understanding is that uh, Rob Manfred showed a taint. Uh, maybe not of the whole game, even though it was a quick game, the Game 7 of the 1960 World Series, which was a high-scoring, very exciting game, a lot going on. It only took two and a half hours, but it was a, a tape of, uh, of the highlights of that game and to show uh, that it can be done. Uh, obviously, that's a long time ago. That's even before I was born, uh, so we're talking a while ago. But uh, I do think there are some things that can be done. He is in favor of the 22nd pitch clock. Everything in... Uh, baseball and everything that the commissioner thinks about will go to committee and they will uh, discuss it. They will study it and they will try to figure it out. And I think that's something that's likely to happen uh, if they get their way, which is the 22nd pitch clock. Now everything has to be run by the major league baseball union and that's proper and good. And uh, the players are the ones after all the ones playing. So they should have a a big say in this Uh, as far as the 154 games. I think Maybe somebody on the player side w- wouldn't mind that, but I, I don't see that happening. Uh, MLB does not seem to be in favor of uh, shortening uh, the season. Uh, they might consider it if they get some other kind of give back, but eliminating uh, seven games at 161 is you know, basically taking out almost 4% of the season or about that and uh, they'd rather not cut the revenue in that way. And also there's a matter of the history of it. We have played 162 games for a very long time. I've been told... And I understand it's been brought up, and they'll discuss anything, as I said, uh, that nobody uh, is in favor of limiting the pitch changes, uh, the pitching changes. Uh, we, obviously, we talked about Bochy before, and he's not the only, I don't want to say offender, but he's not the only one that takes advantage of using many, many, many pitchers during a game. Uh, I, it seems like all the managers do it now, uh, but I, I don't think there's any impetus to change that and say you can only use three, four, five pitchers in a game, I Think the player's health uh, is still at stake here. We don't want to do anything that could jeopardize that, and that just really changes the basic strategy of the game. And I don't think we want to get to that point.
0: Yeah, when it comes to the pitching changes, I mean, then you're just it's just going to turn into. I think Joe Madden might be for that because then he could put Travis Wood in left field more often and to, to reserve those those pitching changes. But I don't think that makes a ton of sense. I, I don't know about the DH if that'll be universal or not. Um, 154 games makes sense in theory, but having to give away that revenue, easier said than done. Uh, the shift, I don't know that that makes a huge difference either. And so I think what I experienced on Wednesday being a four-hour game is just two bad teams playing, and, and that's what happens um, when guys can't get anybody out, walking people and stuff like that. So,
1: Yeah, but we have the Yankees' Red Sox. they play the longest games of them all and usually they are two good teams not always but usually they are and uh, they just very uh, tense games and uh take a lot of pitches the better teams sometimes just take a lot of pitches now of course some of the worst teams throw a lot of balls so i i don't think it was uh, a factor necessarily of bad teams versus good teams i think all the games are kind of long at this point and as you mentioned the dh i just thought i'd mention i have not heard any impetus to change the status quo, which is obviously DH in the American League, no DH in the National League, uh, and also the, sw- the shift. I, you know, I'd like to see somebody learn to bunt, so one guy at least learn to bunt and beat the shift. Uh, it's just seen done so infrequently. I do think the shift has affected uh, the game, and that the uh, big left handed power hitters, uh, Ryan Howard, and many, many Yankees, to share a Headley McCann uh, have been affected, and uh, players throughout baseball and have been affected by the shift and have lost 50 points to their batting average. So you can tell the shift definitely does work, but uh, it's. I think when you see a guy ground out to right field, that's not the most exciting play usually. Sometimes you can make a diving play and throw him out from right field, but uh, normally uh, the first time you see it, you might say, wow, it threw him out from right field. But the 50th time you see it, it's not so exciting anymore.
0: Yeah, and exciting. Nobody wants to watch Anthony Rizzo, Carlos Gonzalez Jake Lamb, Ryan Howard, whoever the big lefty is, bunt down the third baseline and and beat out a single either. No, but
1: I'd like to see them do it just to to prevent uh, the shift from happening. That, to me, is a good way to prevent the shift, is to learn how to bunt and do it once every uh, 50 at-bats or something to show that you can do it. Uh, That I'd like to see. Uh, I actually like that play. Uh, And I don't
0: think it would take too many times of doing it for teams to say, okay, well, this ain't working. Right. So... um, None be. of
1: them have learned to bunt, but I don't, it's not just the big left-handed power hitters that don't, don't know how to bunt. It's basically, uh, there's it probably 10 guys in baseball who are good bunters at this point, and none of them are sluggers.
0: Looking at Ryan Howard, go through some, some quick topics here, some, some Twitter questions that we had. Um, Ryan Howard, Jimmy Rollins, Shane Victorino, all part of those great Phillies teams. Looks like it's the end of the road for them. Who do you think is most likely out of those three to play next season?
1: I think it's probably Shane Victorino. He was insisting on a major league deal uh, this year, and I think he's going to regroup from what I hear. Uh, That may mean accepting a minor league deal uh, to go into spring training and and give it a shot. Uh, You know, I I think that he'd have a decent chance for that. I think Ryan Howard has had a a decent second half, particularly against right handed pitching. If you put it on an American League team, maybe uh you know i'm not sure he's still hitting around 200 uh i think he's determined to come back and if they do out on the shift that would help him immensely i know he'd like to play in Tampa, or at least i i would think so he does have a big home there in clearwater uh and that's convenient but my understanding is the rays want to have a very athletic type first baseman which is why they have the shortstop former shortstop brad miller there now so I, I'm not sure Tampa's the solution for Howard. I'm not sure that he's going to get a job. That's why I go with Victorino. Rollins at this point, I think he was given a shot this year to try to prove it with the White Sox. Didn't quite do it. He, he doesn't seem to be in the mix now. So I, I think Rollins is, by and large, retired. In the column, I did suggest be nice to see Philly bring him back for one last go around. I'm not sure they're, they're as, uh, as sentimental as I am. I think Rollins was a great Philly. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing him play a little bit in September, but I, in terms of coming back and playing next year, I don't see that happening for Jimmy Rollins.
0: Bring Rollins back and pair him with J.P. Crawford, but it doesn't sound like J.P. Crawford will be getting the call up anytime soon like his uh, fellow catching prospect who they just called up.
1: Yeah, no, I don't think so. I think that... Uh, you know, Sometimes these decisions are affected by 40-man, by uh, um, uh, by playing time at the major league level, how that might affect the contract situation. And it just seems right now that there's no impetus to call up Crawford. Uh, I think he's done a good job. He's been a solid defender, and uh, he would not embarrass himself at the major league level, but I don't see them rushing it.
0: On that note of AAA players and with September call-ups, Tony La Russa said to the Arizona Republic, I believe it was, that big reason or a big reason why Shelby Miller isn't being called up is because he's bought into what they're doing they're in a playoff race and he doesn't want to leave them how much are you buying that as a legit excuse for not calling a player up as being a in a playoff race in triple a
1: um, well, no, that doesn't sound very likely to me. Uh, I mean, I guess you could be have multiple reasons. That could be a small part of the total picture, which could be also uh, making sure that he's okay after just an abysmal start this season and maybe delaying the free agent clock if he's kept down there long enough. That's a, another uh, possibility, not one that teams normally discuss very much, but I, I don't think you can ever count that out. But... I mean obviously Shane Miller made it I mean uh, Shelby Miller made his own bed here with the 714 ERA at the major league level and as he said he was surprised they had kept him up this long I think they gave it a long chance, uh, even though we were surprised at the time, Always oh, in the minor leagues. But if you look at it, you know a lot of starts. It's hard to have a 7-1-4 with a lot of starts. So if, if delaying his free agency is part of the reason, I, you know, I normally am not in favor of that, but they're out of the race. You know, they have other reasons that they gave. Uh, you know, it's hard to prove, and, uh, you know, I think that's a possibility as well.
0: And on that Diamondbacks note, somebody asked if uh, you had known if Zach Granke cleared waivers or not. Um, On that note, do you th- I, go ahead.
1: Yeah, I had not heard that. I would assume that uh, he would clear waivers. I, I know that Arizona put a lot of people through. Uh, I just think they're committed to their plan, uh, at least as much of their plan as they can be committed to. Granke has done okay while he's been healthy, obviously got up to a rough start, particularly at home, had the DL stay. Uh, had a rough outing recently. It's not been perfect, but he certainly would not get claimed by anybody. They were only the only team willing to pay $34 million a year at the time, uh, and for uh, six years, now he's got five years to go. So he certainly would not get claimed. It would be difficult to imagine him uh, being traded but you know if you go unclaimed you can be traded so uh, it can't be ruled out but I, I I don't know if I've ever seen a player of that stature uh, traded uh, in late August it is pos- theoretically possible but extremely doubtful
0: yeah I don't know that they're if they if they weren't ready to trade Shelby Miller for three pitchers that were either in the majors or close to the majors from the marlins then i definitely don't think they're ready to give up on the the zach Grinke deal Um, yeah they
1: may be regretting that shelby miller decision at this point though uh you you know uh, i'm not sure we don't come out who the pitchers were but as i heard it was a pitcher that was in the majors too close that you just two of them close so uh that's a pretty good offer that the the marlins made um and certainly there were people in the Diamondbacks organization that were willing to do that at the time.
0: Looking at Granky's former team, and I, I know that there have been some on Twitter that want to throw out the idea of just go bring Granky back and get him for half of whatever the Diamondbacks are paying him, but looking at the Dodgers and, and their offseason, I know that you, you touched on Justin Turner in your column. What's going to be their number one priority in the offseason, or is it too early to tell?
1: Well, I think they, like a number of teams, uh, they have to figure out the starting pitching situation. Uh, presumably, Kershaw will be back, but uh, Hill is a free agent. Uh, Anderson, not that he's done anything for them uh, this year, um, he's done nothing. Uh, he's a free agent. Uh, we'll see about the uh, health of all, uh, several others, uh, McCarthy, who started the year on the DL is now back on the DL with a different ailment. Uh, we've got Kazmir on the DL. He's got an opt out. I doubt he will take it at this point, um, as he's a guy who has cleared waivers, so he's worth less than his contract, presumably. Uh, Ryu, uh, uh, presumably, will miss the rest of this season. Will he be back next season? Alex Wood, basically the forgotten man, what goes on with him. So uh, they've got to figure out the uh, starting pitching situation most of all. I do think they will try to bring back Justin Turner, who has become a big star with them and has done great. But as we know, the Dodgers look very carefully at the age of the players. And from what I understand, they're not going to do anything crazy, which means... Probably try to avoid a four-year deal, five-year deal, and think of that. Well, the guy's a big star, and he probably can get a long deal somewhere else. He's certainly uh, a better player than Headley, who got uh, four for 50-something. Uh, uh, he should get a, a very good salary. This is a guy who was a utility man, and uh, they did a great job getting him, and uh, he has become a legit star.
0: Another National League team that will have a busy offseason, but it could be a busy offseason in the front office, is the Chicago Cubs. Is there any reason, any update, for one, on Theo Epstein and an extension, and is there any reason to worry because that's not done yet?
1: Uh, I, I I doubt it. You never know. It was a little bit of a surprise when he left the Red Sox and uh, things weren't going perfectly at that time. He'd done a great job there, obviously, uh, but uh, you never know, I guess, in these uh, circumstances. Uh, not that much has come out about it, but uh, the Cubs are determined to, to keep him. Uh, there's no reason to think that, uh, I, I guess, you would say maybe a mid-rebuild, but not really. Right now they've almost fully rebuilt. and uh, They're really good. Uh, no reason to think that he'd want to leave. He's got it set up there with Madden, who's doing terrific, obviously, as the manager. They have quite a great team, as we all know. So I figure they're going to work it out. I think the real issue uh, has been, and this is kind of third-hand, but is certainly very, very believable, is just the fact that Andrew Friedman got the big contract with the Dodgers, which has been reported to be $7 million a year. I've heard that he has incentives that can make it even higher than that. And uh, Theo Epstein, at least on the reports, was making... Somewhere in the neighborhood of $4 million. Obviously, none of these people are poor, but uh, going on their accomplishments, I think Andrew Friedman, I, I happen to think he's very good at what he does, and obviously is doing a very good job overall this year, and he did a very good job in, in Tampa. But going on their accomplishments and what Theo is doing in Chicago, uh, it's hard to see him uh, asking or even accepting. Uh, less than the highest-paid baseball guy. Now, uh, at this point, we call him baseball presidents, not GMs, but he's in charge of the baseball operations. So uh, that's probably the sticking point, is uh, trying to get over uh, uh, Friedman and how much over. Now, they're not going to say that out loud. It's not something that's uh, indelicate to talk about. It's not something you want aired, but I think reasonably that's probably the issue uh, exactly how high are they going to go for him, but I, I think ultimately they will get it done.
0: And I don't know how much negotiating power the Cubs even have there. Theo can say, just sign the check and I'll fill in the numbers, and I don't really know how they can say no at this point. Um, the argument for GMs and presidents to make more than they're making, I mean, if they're spending $200 hundred million—I mean, and they have all this control of putting the roster together, do you see their values in the the contracts that these GMs and decision-makers are going to make, are these going to start skyrocketing here, maybe starting with Friedman, going to Theo and down the road?
1: Yeah, maybe for a couple guys they will. Not for everyone. Obviously not everyone can be in first place. So uh, not everybody's Theo Epstein, who's won two World Series and may win, uh, break another uh, obvious uh, losing streak here of 108 years with the Cubs. Uh, you know, if, if he does that, I mean, you got to uh, basically – Knight uh, the guy, uh, much less, you know, worry about what the salary is. Uh, I do think he is a special case. I don't necessarily think there's a big trickle down effect. Uh, I do think that uh, the guy in charge, uh, it's a 24 hour job, 365 days a year, should have a high salary, not probably paid like a utility infielder, as some teams do, or even less in some cases. Uh, it's a huge job with a lot of responsibility and more effect on the team's roster and ability to win that the
0: manager has and a name in the Cubs front office that's going to be brought up for what I believe just about every GM or president job that there is Jason McCloud. do you think that he Jed Hoyer and Theo do you think that they stick together through this plan I know that they've hinted at that or said that you know they want to they want to finish the job right can McCloud really turn down jobs to stay in the role that he's in <laughs>
1: Well, people have done it before. Thad Levine has turned down a few opportunities in Texas at least to interview for jobs, or even after he's interviewed said, you know, I'm going to stay here as the assistant GM with Texas. Um, it depends, you know, how much they love their current job, and certainly some teams pay those assistant GMs uh, pretty good salaries. And you uh, know if Thad Levine had the chance to at least interview in arizona and keep going i think he had a phone interview or one short interview and didn't keep going you know, sometimes it works out better to stay and wait for the right opportunity you never know um, i do think uh, like you that jason mccloud will have opportunities obviously we know minnesota has an opening now you know you hear his name somewhat but uh... not necessarily from the people in charge they've been pretty quiet in minnesota and, uh... they've got a search committee uh... looking and, you know, his name is going to come up. Levine's name is going to come up. And uh, obviously there are other uh, top guys. But uh, you're right. He has said that uh, he wants to stay uh, with the Cubs. So it would have to be probably the right situation for him to leave.
0: The Minnesota Twins, as you just mentioned, looking for a GM. Ken Rosenthal mentions that they, in addition to a GM, are actually looking for a more of a president role who will then hire a GM. You, you named a few guys in your column. Who do you think – I know that they're quiet, but who do you think are some names to look at there and possibly uh, the best fit?
1: Yeah, uh, the original names that I heard uh, included uh, Alex Anthopoulos and Josh Burns uh, from the Dodgers now, former GMs elsewhere. Um, I'd heard from Major League Baseball Peter Woodfork and Kim Eng. Um, I'd heard Ben Sherrington, former Red Sox GM, Uh, Obviously, McLeod and Levine and many others are out there. Uh, Dan Kantrovitz who was a runner-up for the uh, Brewers job, uh, could be a candidate as well. Uh, My understanding, as I've heard, they would like to get somebody who is very adept at the uh, Sabre side of the game. Not a shock. They had the ultimate scout at Terry Ryan. Oftentimes, when they make a change, they often go to the other side and say, you know what, let's try to do it the other way. Uh, They did that in Milwaukee where they had Doug Melvin, who was a a longtime scout, uh, an older guy, actually did a a good job overall, uh, but they went for a young guy who was uh, very adept with numbers, stats, uh, David Stearns, a Harvard man. So, uh, you know, I think that's just the way the game is going generally, that they look for young, they look for Ivy League, and they look for Sabre. And uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with that as long as you have a balance. Do you think it's a,
0: it's a job, the Twins, that is, that the top guys out there will jump at, or is it a situation where you know, we're going to wait for something else?
1: Uh, I think it's a pretty good job. I, you know, it's not a small market, uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul. Uh, it's obviously not the biggest market, but it's not a tiny market. Uh, I think that they have a great ballpark. Um, I think the owner has a decent reputation, uh, Jim Polad. Um, obviously he did pull the plug here on, on terry ryan longtime guy but they've had a, a lot of stability in that organization uh, and they have some good young players uh, they're obviously not doing it right now they need pitching there is a, a puzzle to sl- solve there but uh, they do have guys with ability uh, is to know uh, buxton eventually will be a good player uh, and other kepler other good young players so uh, i think that's Uh, usually the jobs that come up open are teams that are not winning at the moment so I think that's a given you put that aside, you look at the other factors, I would say that's an attractive job
0: the AL East is the the tightest race right now, how would you handicap that? All three could get in with two wild cards only might be two of them that get in How, how do you handicap that race?
1: Yeah, you, know, you know, my predictions weren't necessarily great this year. I did pick Toronto, so I'm going to stick with Toronto. Uh, overall, I think they're the best team, but obviously all three of these teams proven me very close at this point. I think Boston's offense is so good that it will get them in, and I think Baltimore's got something pretty good going, too, with their offense combined with that bullpen, so I think all three will get in. Um, that being said, obviously there are a lot of threats out there. Detroit's played much better lately they have a lot of games left with Minnesota and some other kind of doormat type teams right now so I think Detroit's got a shot to get in there I think uh, obviously Seattle and uh, Kansas City are still in there Yankees on the fringe but if I were to bet right now or pick right now I don't bet but pick I would go with Baltimore and Boston to both get in with Toronto
0: Boston needs bullpen help Jonathan Papelbon still doesn't have a team is he ever going to have a team the rest of this year
1: well, uh, was it 10 days ago or so that we heard that there was strong interest and uh, everybody wanted him? Uh, you know, obviously the agent is working there. Uh, I, I, you know, uh, me, I wouldn't bring in Jonathan Papelbon. Uh, I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't bring him in when he's throwing 98. So now that he's throwing 89, uh, I can see why there's not a rush to sign him. Obviously, he's been an issue. You, you choke the best player in the National League. Uh, that's not a good thing. And uh, you know, so this guy was a malcontent in many places. You know, I don't know. We don't know the full story of what happened in Washington, but the story was that he he wanted out. Well, was it because he wasn't closing now? I mean, he's not going to close for any contending team. So, is he going to be happy anywhere else? But you know, that could have been a little bit of a a diplomatic way of saying we're cutting him. He's just not that good. And so, uh, at this point, I'm skeptical anybody wants Jonathan Papelbon.
0: And the most important question that everybody wants to know is. When you go to Arby's, what do you order?
1: Well, of course you get the roast beef, but uh, the key is the uh, equal parts of uh, horsey sauce and the Arby sauce. That—that's what makes the Arby sandwich. That
0: might be the most insider information that you've provided so far. So <laughs> you
1: don't—you don't get to hear that everywhere. I'll say that. <laughs> uh,
0: for John Heyman, Tommy Stokey, you can find us on iTunes soon. Um, Otherwise, Thursdays, Fridays, we will be recording off of his notes, which you can find on today's Knuckleball. Thanks, John.
1: All right. Thanks, Tommy.